Yo, and welcome to the 99th episode of Lake of Rage Pokemon Trading Card Game Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Kevin Clementi, aka Mellow underscore Magikarp. I'm joined today by three very special temporary guest hosts. Joining me are three of the top players in Europe who are all going to be attending EUIC. I'm going to introduce them quickly, but then I'm going to let them introduce themselves a little bit as well, how long they've been playing the game, some of their favorite accomplishments that they may have had as well, and then we're going to talk about the expected UIC meta. It will be the first post-rotation format in the West, and uh, it may or may not be different. We'll figure that out by the end of the podcast. So, first person we have joining us for the very first time, we have Nico Alabas. Nico, how long you been playing? What are some of your favorite accomplishments? Yeah, um, I've been playing for about 14 years competitively, um, but I've been collecting or playing the video games for as long as I can remember. And based on my age, it's probably ever since they came out. So um, for a very long time. And my yeah, my biggest accomplishment and uh, the accomplishment that most people will probably know me for is uh, winning the 2020 um, Oceania International Championships. And yeah, I mean, that's also definitely by far my uh, favorite accomplishment. It's better than winning a regional with Duraludon. It it was if it would have been a regional, maybe, but since <laughs> it was a special event, it's like it's definitely a bit lower. It's valid. But winning with Dura is also pretty is pretty great. <laughs> Joining us next for the again the first time, we have Owen Cameraman. Owen, how long have you been playing? And uh what are some of your favorite accomplishments? Uh yeah, I've been playing for around 13 years now, which I think is around two thirds of of how long I've been alive. Uh, I'm 19, but, but for the record. Uh, and most recently, I got top four at the Oceania International Championships. Uh, but I've also won, uh, my favorite accomplishment, I think, is the 2017 uh, International Championships in London, which I won in seniors. Uh, and I have some top, top fours for specials and regionals this year at, and for previous years. And the third member of the squad, who I'm now realizing I did not ask to make sure that I know how to pronounce their last name properly, we have Brian DeVries. Almost. No. It's the DeVries. DeVries. Like double E. Presents like double E. Okay. <laughs> Brian, how long have you been playing favorite accomplishments? I've been playing for 14 years. And, uh, well, I've, my favorite accomplishment is actually, like, the first time I got second at the Nationals back in, like, 2012, because it was my first time going to Worlds. My, but my most accomplished accomplishments, like second place at LAIC 2019. And besides that, I just got a couple of top eights, top four, and just overall these accomplishments for day twos. So if after those introductions, y'all are unsure why I asked all three of these individuals to be on the EUIC meta discussion, it should be incredibly obvious now. Three very good players, three people who have a ton of success at the international level as well. And people have definitely had success into new formats for sure. So we do have a new format, but now we have a ton of information from Japan. It is incredibly easy to go on to the internet or even now YouTubers, Western YouTubers are just like, hey, here's all the top lists, right? You don't have to go searching for your own. Do we expect that we're going to follow the trend that Japan originally went with, which was like, you know, Giratina is the best deck. It is the only thing being played. Or are we going to expect to kind of pick up where they left off, which was, you know, single prize loss zone was doing well. Guardi was really starting to look like an optimized list. You had stuff like Lugia starting to pop up, you know, or is it going to be like that start of the format? It's like, eh, it's Giratina and Mew and we'll figure out the rest. 
Nico, what do you think? Are we going to be like starting where they started or are we going to pick up right where they left off? Yeah, so I definitely think that we will tend more towards like what their like end format is because in Japan, obviously, immediately when they get the cards, like when they just come out in their set, they get to play them. Um, and obviously, they also have like half sets or like our half sets, basically. So by the time that their format ended, it's kind of what we are going to go into. And yeah, I mean, their format had to develop because they don't have online tournaments before they start playing. They don't have like a couple of weeks to get ready. They immediately just buy the cards and play with them. So I think it's like a very uh, fair assumption to just like go into the new format and be like, okay, Japan, they've ended up on like these assumptions. Lostbox has been doing like incredibly well in the last couple of tournaments, not just in Japan, but also like other regions that use the same format, right? So I definitely think that we will be more towards like the heavy Lostbox kind of um, format compared to like the initial Giratina. Oh, and agree, disagree? Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. Um, just from anecdotal evidence, I just went to a fun post-rotation tournament today and I really saw the meta evolved more toward, towards Lost Bone, Lost Zone Box, what single prices without Giratina. Muse, of course, still around in general. Uh, but yeah, definitely, uh, because we've already been, I've had to have had time to process the information from Japan. Uh, I think, yeah, just agree. And Brian, are you going to make it three for three? Yeah, like everyone's going to start off testing with the stuff we know from Japan, probably. So we just start there and we develop the formats further. So we're all in agreement, which is kind of good because that leads perfectly into the next question of what are the three decks that you are most expecting to play against at EUIC? Well, let's start with the day one. Maybe you're like, oh, I'm pretty sure the day two meta look a little different. That's fine. Let's start with the day one meta and we'll kind of focus on that one. And I do want to challenge everyone. If you're going to say Lost Box, is this Mirage Gate or Sablezard? And you don't have to figure out what the Mirage Gate attackers are. So, Owen, what do you think are the top three decks you're expecting to face in day one? So, I definitely think uh, Mew Fusion Strike is up there. Uh, it's just not uh, more consistent now um and the, the turn on meloetta is better you don't need aerodactyl anymore versus lugia uh there are so many uh it, it's just better than the other mu view version uh in the current meta and so that will definitely be one um single price lost boxers with psychic sky uh with some vtex sky sealstone with mirage gate i think will easily be the uh, second most played deck and the third one is the hardest i think lost zone box and mew being up there is definitely just the easiest pick ever but then the third one is hard to 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 pick and i think that's that's going to be crucial to to meta predicting properly but i'm currently le more leaning that people will play gardevoir just because it's new it's a stage two which Finally, it's a good stage two deck, right? <laughs> uh, so I, I think people will lean towards that because um, it's a d different style of play from the most other decks. And yeah, so those three for sure. Brian, what do you think? Top three decks? Like one and two are like Tina and Mirage Gate Lost Box. And the third one is, well, either Mew or Guardi. So, like, the one is the third, the, the other one is the fourth, basically. Got it. So, lots of flower selecting from <laughs> your expected yeah. meta. And, Nico, what are you thinking? 
Yeah, so um, I definitely think that just based on Japanese results and also what players have been playing, that Lost Box with Mirage Gates and Sky Seastone is going to be the most popular, um, especially because like Wild Charizard is still going to be in a better spot than it was um, towards like the end of the last format. The problem is that it's so like heavily susceptible to Lost City, and obviously that card stays in format. And um, as Owen and Brian already have said, right, like Mew will stay in the format, and Mew will probably still run Lost City, like either of those versions, to get rid of stuff like Drapion. So I still think like Lost Box Mirage Gate is going to be like the very top. Um, then I think it's going to be Mew simply because maybe it's not just like the second best deck. Maybe it's like third or fourth best deck, but just because so many people have been playing it for like ever since it came out for two years, basically at this point um, almost. And we also can't forget that this format, right? Like while it is a new format, it's in the middle of a current season, right? So there's a lot of people that will just stick with their comfort picks, I feel like. So Mew is obviously like the, the obvious choice for Mew players to stick with because I mean, Basically, nothing changes except maybe a, a little bit of the playstyle. Because I also agree with um, Owen that Fusion Strike is going to be the more popular and the better version. Um, and then I think the third most popular, because of like a similar reason with Mew, is going to be Lugia. Um, while I don't think it's like even close to what it was before, um, Lugia still being somewhat viable and still being able to keep up decently with the rest of the decks, I think still puts it. Um, like in the third place spot, but it could also just be Gardi in third and Lugia in fourth. But I think those like two will just be the third and fourth place deck. Interesting. This is a lot more exciting than the LAIC one where everyone's like, uh, Lugia, Lost Box, Mew, next. <laughs> so it sounds like there's there's like a lot of variants out there, right? And I wouldn't disagree with anyone for sure. But everyone did agree on Comfy decks, Giratina, Lost Zone decks being number one. Brian, when I hear this, when you hear, when anyone hears this, you're like, so Klefki, right? Brian, is Klefki a broken tech or is Klefki just kind of copium in the current places it's being shoved into? What do you think? It's only good if you get two down and if you have a really quick, uh, like, game plan against Lost on Box. Otherwise, if you're just sitting there with a Klefki for four turns, they'll just power up something like a Greninja and snipe both Klefki or a Raikou or a Dragonite, anything. And then he'll just take the prize lead. And then they also have to attack with something else. So you're not Klefki locked anymore. And then you're just going wild with your comfies. So Klefki is meh. Nico or Owen, are either of you pro Klefki or kind of that same? Kind of same. It's just you need to start with it to truly have the right effect. I, it only has a function in Rhydon, maybe, um, just so because you can switch it to it and still take KOs. But yeah, just just Comfy isn't enough. Or just Lefty isn't enough. Nico, you're going to co-sign? Yeah, I'm also kind of on the same page simply because, I mean, it was a similar concept early last season when everyone was like, yeah, Lost Box, it's not going to be that good. I mean, Water Dexter was going to play Empoleon. And I mean, obviously that one didn't block Greninja, but it was still just not enough to keep up with the Lost Box decks. And yeah, I also think that Miraidon is probably like the best deck to use Klefki. And that deck is like, it's like kind of meh. So it's, <laughs> um, I mean, if like if there would be an insane user for Klefki, I think it would be like great. But like the other two already said, that just doesn't really exist right now. Love to hear it. I keep telling people Klefki's trash. No one ever believes me. So the, the more top players I have backing me up on that one. 
Nico, you mentioned Fusion Strike Mew as the better of the two. What makes you say Fusion Strike Mew is possibly better now than the DTE version of Mew? I think the main reason, um, as Owen already was teasing, is like that you don't need to be as aggressive against Lugia anymore, right? Because you kind of had to play Aerodactyl, you had to play like Heavy Path, Heavy Judge, all of these kind of things to try and keep up with Lugia. And now you can go back more to like your, yeah, I will do my game plan and I have some one prices that can also trade very favorably. Um, and like I said, like Lost City is probably also still in those. So Lost Box might not have the easiest time to still trade with the deck because you just like get rid of their big threats or like big attackers and you can still like um, whatever the looping attack is. I'm not a Mew player, but you can <laughs> shove Psychic it. Leap. Yeah, Psychic Leap um, it back into the deck against like all of the small guys. So um, yeah, just like having the option because the DTE Mew also one of the reasons why I never really liked it is that you're always kind of forced into giving like two, three prizes and you're just sitting there judge and pray. And with Mew, like with the Fusion Strike version, you can go a little bit more aggressive and have a little bit more options to actually like be in control of the game yourself. So I had a 1K yesterday and I was going to bring Mew. And then I chickened out because I was like, Drapion still exists. Owen, can you sell me on why people would want to bring Mew if Drapion's going to be everywhere? Or do you think Drapion's not going to be showing up? Oh, I definitely think Drapion's going to be showing up. It's just too good of a card and Mew is too good if you don't play the Drapion. Uh, but I think that definitely the, the Meloetta version is well-equipped for it, as in you have sing single-price attackers, um, which you, you can switch up at the right time, combined with a church or something, to make them even hard, to make it really hard to uh, to let, make them even use the Drapion. Uh, I've also seen some Fusion Strike variants include a, a single path or two path, uh, and I think that is actually still worth it. Just because Drapion is everywhere, um, and even if they manage to kill one new Vmax with your with their Drapion, you just lose City it away, and they still have to get through the other one. And as long as they just don't have a way to one shot that, you're probably ahead in price by then, and you're just too far ahead still. And Brian, why shouldn't you play Mew? <laughs> Because your Lost Box matchup is so RNG-reliant, you need so many hand disruptions going your way. Because they, let's say against Fusion Mew, you cram their Meloetta, you drape on their Mew, and then then you just have to KO one Genesect for game. Which is really easy to do for the Lost Box player. And like, you need to judge them like three times to disrupt them enough to actually have a solid game plan against them, I think. And... On that note, I think that the DTE Mew version actually has a better shot against Lost Box and Tina because it has more disruption and path plays. While the, the Fusion build can actually Psychic Leap, which is also better, but it's, it just it also depends on the kind of Lost Box you expect to play against. But right now, for uh, the Tina matchup, for example, as well, I found it be really difficult if the Mew has multiple paths because you need to find your outs and your Drapion at the exact right time while they just keep judging you, while the Fusion Mew list has a little bit more struggles with that. Got it. So you're the one who is pro-disruption here instead of the... I don't want to say not aggro, because DTE Mew is still pretty <laughs> aggro, but... Awesome. That sounds... I hate that there's no answer, but that probably makes this really good, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's no fun if you know your opponent flips over a Mew, you know what they're going to be playing, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs>
we did mention Giratina. So far, the Japanese list for Giratina are like the same 60. There is like very little variance in there. Is Giratina a deck that you would expect top players to bring knowing that, you know, there's not a lot of creativity you can do with it? Or is it so powerful? You're like, I could definitely see some top players playing this because, you know, turns out hitting 280 is good. The V-Star attack is good. Sableye is good. Nico, what do you think? Is Giratina a deck that you'd expect top players to bring, or is it something that there's just, it's too solved? I mean, I can definitely see uh, some of the top players bring Giratina, because, I mean, like you said, 280 just printed on a card is already a very big selling point. Um, but I also think that if someone wants to really do, like, I mean, of course, every deck can do well, just like if you pick one of the tier 2, tier 3 decks, every deck can in theory do well, but if someone wants to be very much in control of doing well. I think there needs to be something that needs to be changed or solved or broken about uh, Giratina because I'm not really a big fan of the like the Japanese kind of style, especially because they've some went down to like four switching cards in the entire deck. So I'm like, okay, you had four nets before, like two, three ropes or switches and then a couple of um, cards. And now you just want to cut all of your nets for something that doesn't even substitute them. So that's like what I don't like about the Japanese version. Um, and also, like losing losing super uh, not super rod ordinary rod is also like such a big point that I feel like there needs to be something done about the deck to um yeah to actually make it viable for the uh, ongoing meta because it was already not the best deck going into Lost Box in the like Charizard format and now Lost Box has become like way more consistent because they all play Greninja and they have like attackers that can deal way more damage and like Sealstone can also take three prize on your Giratina and you don't have that many more like other attackers so um yeah i definitely think there needs to be something like something needs to be done about that list i don't think you can just like net those uh, net deck those 60 and just sign up for uic and expect success owner brian do you have an uh, agree disagree on the tina like it needs to be innovated on to do well i completely agree i think you point out the exact reason why it didn't end up doing well later in the formats just the fact that it's already so known it's so linear it lost a lot of it lost kind of lost a lot lot in rotation and yeah there just wasn't just wasn't the way yet found yet to adapt to the new situation but maybe there is still something out there brian are you co-signing or are you on the tina train yeah like the deck needs to be innovated on like don't cut your switch cards please the deck is already <laughs> more inconsistent than a regular lost box list you need your consistency in the deck just keep it in there and find something else. So let's dive into Lost Box then, because all three of you kind of went in that same direction of like, Tina's just kind of bad Mirage Gate Lost Box, but that's a really vague like Mirage Gate Lost Box. So amongst the things we've seen, we've seen Sablesar running some Mirage Gates at some point, but I think everyone in here is talking about the Greninja build. So if you have Sablesard, you can add it to this part if you want. But I think everyone's kind of like, eh, Ninja's better, right? So you have the V-heavy ones with like Raikou. This is the one that I played at the 1K, the Taiwan list that is like super turbo, right? It's three vacuums, four seal stones, a bunch of Vs. It's all about getting the turn one or turn two Mirage Gate ASAP. We've seen some that have the Zapdos package in them that are more about like the Cramorant Sableye, but then they have that Maridon answer in there. We've seen Kyogre somehow isn't entirely dead in Japanese results either, which is 
very surprising to me because <laughs> you lost ordinary rod and you just have to like double recycler but anyway we've seen like a lot of things right you've seen the dragonite package you've seen the zapdos package you've seen some stuff with like the kyogre and things like that which of these would you expect to play against or are you just going to test against the whole gauntlet to be ready and Brian, why don't you start us off on this one? I lost the order, but what are you are you just going to test against every single variant possible? Or are you like, I'm pretty sure these are the ones people are going to gravitate towards or just the best? Well, I've already tested against all of them. So <laughs> <laughs> because I, I actually don't know which one's the better one and which one is more comfortable for people to bring. But I would expect the more later versions that saw success in Japan to be picked up earlier. Mm -hmm. So like the turbo builds. But for people that are scared into particular matchups, like if, if they expect a lot of Arctina, for example, then they will go with the more V uh, Lost Box with all the counter Pokemon in it. Nico, what are you testing against for Lost Box? Just everything possible, or are you deciding certain lists are better to play against? I think, I mean, if you just test any deck, right, you want to test against the version that's hardest. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, like if you face a Lost Box version that's like slightly worse against your deck, or like that's, um, for example, like you play against the version that doesn't play the Zapdos, and you have a deck where, like for example, Miraidon, um, and you're like, okay, yeah, the Zapdos now would like completely dismantle me, then you should obviously test against that version. Um, but yeah, like in general, I just think the core, I mean, the core will stay the same anyways. Like you just have a couple of attackers, a couple of energies that you are going to switch around. I mean, you're not going to go lower or higher on switch cards simply because you have a different attacker in the deck. Um, so I probably just like depending on the deck, testing against the toughest version. And I think like the most successful versions um, at EOIC will just be like very similar to what we saw at the end of our format last time, where it's like kind of a hybrid of. You have Mirage Gate Box, but you have like two or three good attackers that can like abuse Sealstone to go into the right matchups. So I just think that's going to be um, where most people will end up with as well, right? Because you're also in a deck like Lost Box, especially, you don't want to be too matchup dependent because you're already like a very solid deck by itself. So you don't want to just potentially lose because you just like sacrifice a lot of space for one specific matchup. Oh, and any other thoughts to add to Lost Box? Uh, I, I mostly agree. Uh, I think Lost Box in general, but just because it's just such a free engine, uh, with Mirage, Mirage Gate just stretching any energy that you want, I think, and that you can play so many tech attackers that people will. It's a bit of an emotion based deck in a way, as in people will attacking their one Galarian Zapdos, for example, because their meta is uh, full of Miraidon. And they feel like, oh, I need, really need to attack against that. Or Arceus, for, or against Arceus, for example. Or they were attacking Raikou because they play against uh, Flying Pikachu and to, they need to rope boss it. I think because it's so free, uh, that people will play like literally every variant. I think you can expect every card in, in Lost Box. Um, now, of course, I think the, the Sky Sealstone, Raikou, Septos are going to be the. It would be if I if I yeah you really only have time to test against one that's that's the one. So I want to do some quick like rapid fire yes or no on some of the possible techs for Lost Box. Now technically you all are good players and you're gonna say it might depend on the variant. But let's take a generic Mirage Gate build. Is this something you would play for sure? 
consider depending or it's like no that's not a real thing and we'll just go no explanation necessary unless you like really feel strongly one way or the other about it so we'll go in order nico owen brian first card halucha nico yes owen yes 100 percent. brian yes all right so halucha should be a staple it sounds like uh this might not be a tech technically but boss's orders nico Yes. Owen. Yes. And Brian. Yes. I see you're all three boss. I'm like, I lost on that thing every single game. <laughs> yeah, but then you have the one game where you're like, mm, it's nice to have a boss. <laughs> yeah. And what if I win with the one boss though? Yeah. I you just have the hope option. where you just yeah. You're not wrong. <laughs> Unfortunately. Uh less than four nest balls. So would you play less than four nest balls, Nico? Depends. Depends. Owen. I think it also depends. <laughs> I I, I kind of want to say no, but you just, sometimes you really need the space. Brian. I'm going to say no. Cool. Two mana fees. Nico. No. Owen. No. Brian. Depends. All right, fair. <laughs> um, more than two Claras, Nico. Uh, depends on if you play Charizard or the just straight Mirage Gate Grindelwald. Owen. Yeah, I agree with Nico. And Brian. Also agree with that. Fair. And the last one that I can think of off the top of my head right now is any stadium besides Beach Court. It's <laughs> like, is there a purpose to think of? To play any stadium besides Beach Court, Nico. Uh, yes, Zard should probably play uh, Basin, and then depending on the version, you might also want like a Temple, for example. Owen. Yeah, I would also play Basin. The Temple, I don't know. I don't feel like it's worth the spot, but maybe. And Brian. If you play a turtle version, consider Collapse Stadium. Or instead of collapsing away the V. Can I sell you on Pidget V so you can seal stone and shuffle it back? Okay. I, <laughs> it's a really good idea, but I had this scenario during testing where my bench was full in a Lost Box mirror. And I was like, hmm, if I can save light here, I just win. And then I was like, collapse, vacuum the collapsed away. Then I have a space left, save light attach, and I lost mine. All right, that's actually a viable reason to run collapsed. <laughs> yeah, cleaning yourself off, especially if you're going to run. I was playing a mirror just as a quick plus for collapsed or minus for collapsed, I guess. I played collapsed to get rid of one of my Pokemon, but they got rid of their Halucha, so they were able to reuse it on the next turn and take a two prize sable. I was like, oh, that's that's I you could have done that with your own Halucha as another plus for collapsed. True. The other side of collapse as well, like there's a little bit about lost box. Mm -hmm. You want to have three comfy down turn one, and sometimes you want to just get rid of one. So then collapse is ideal. So let's talk a little bit about the Lost Box mirror. And if you feel like you've cracked the code, feel free to be like, you'll find out after I win, right? But this is for everyone who's played the Lost Box mirror in post-rotation format. I don't know how much experience everyone has, but are you, because this is the biggest thing that I was talking about with someone, are you minimizing the bench because you don't want to get sableyed, or are you like trying to go fast? I know the answer is it depends, but... <laughs> On average, is it like uh, going fast is better or being conservative is better as a general thought? 
Brian, I know you've played the Lost Box Mirror, it sounds like, and then I'll let Owen and Nico chime in if they have as well. But thoughts between fast and conservative? Okay. I'll go fast. And that's just because the, the mirror comes down to, like, save lie often. Mm -hmm. So you want to turbo your loss into 10. And, like, if let's say you go first. You want to have three comfy down, so you have three cards in the loss zone. Then you go to at least seven, maybe eight, turn after you save lie. And the person, then you can also pressure your opponent's mana fee, and they might not have the 10 cards in the loss zone yet mm -hmm. because they went second, so they have four, turn one, maybe three to turn after, so they have seven. If they have seven, they can't chorus and get mana fee back at the same time. So then it's like, well, you can get your mana fee back, but then you don't lost my me, and I just lost my mana fee again, plus comfy. If they do get the, uh, or like, yeah, if they do, then they can't lose mine. If they, um, don't get the manifest back and they go for lost mine, you green jet them. So it's it's a little bit like from both sides, I think you want to turbo the loss zone. Mm -hmm. But for going first in the mirror is really important. For going second, maybe a little bit less. And then it depends on how the matchup goes. Also, if you play like uh, Snorlax, Summer's Anti, you can technically go conservative if you have those two on the bench and nothing else because they can't marshal it that easily. And then you can cheat a turn. That all sounds like pretty good advice to me of like the general idea. Uh, Owen or Nico, have you played the Lost Box Beer in the post-rotation format? Um, not at all, but I, I, I uh, mo just mostly agree with Brian just on purely on theoretical thinking. Mm -hmm. um, and I'd just like to add that playing conservative is probably better with the, the Radiant variant, uh, the Radiant Charizard variant. Um, and that Roxanne is still a thing in some Lost Box Mirrors. Like, it's, yeah, you still, playing conservative is just too risky. Uh, yeah, that. I completely forgot about Roxanne during that tech. But wait, real quick, Lost, lost Box tech. Nico, Roxanne, yes or no? Or it depends. Yes. Yes. Owen? Yes. And Brian, you're nodding your head. Yes. 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 <laughs> And then, Nico, have you played the Lost Box Mirror? Do you have any idea between the conservative play versus the I'm going to say Bly ASAP? Um, I've played it a bit, but I completely agree with Brian. I mean, it was already very important in the last format to be like the first that goes to like 10 to be able to say Bly because you always force your opponent into responding with a like revenge of mana fee. And like Brian said, like there's only supporters now to do it, if unless you obviously play double mana fee. Mm. So going there now is even more important than before. So yeah, I completely agree that you just want to turbo and go to 10. Cool. So I feel like every Lost Box player listing should already be testing the mirror, but <laughs> maybe they'll have an idea of where to go with that. Uh, we mentioned as one of the other three decks that could be in the top was Gardevoir. Gardevoir, obviously very new, very found out list it feels like but that could just be at the end of the format a lot of japanese lists were in the same exact like you have the zashi and v you have a 4422 line you play some muse you have your manaphy your Cursalia, you know that kind of stuff but then like mewtwo v union exists klefki exists because ralts could run to the bench right so like is Guardi a real play? And if it is, has it been solved? Or do you think there's a lot of room for innovation given the, you know, you have refinement and you have Shining Arcana and stuff like that. So Nico, what do you think about Gardevoir? Is it been solved? And is it a viable play? Okay, so like I 
think, especially when talking about solving, that it's very hard to save for a deck like Gardevoir because stage twos in general are like very high maintenance. There's very low amount that you have of like freedom in a deck like this because like you said, right, like you have the 4-4, four, 2-2 four, two, two at least line of uh, Gardevoir. So that's already like 12 cards. And then you have your consistency cards that you obviously need to play, right? Like you need to play some balls, uh, you need to play some draw supporters. And in that regard, you're also like kind of limited because there's not that many draw supporters that are actually good in the deck. So you're also um, kind of forced into that. And then also by nature, Gardevoir is also one of the stage two that gets not maybe like low maintenance where you're like, okay, I need like four or five energies. No, it needs like at least 10, 11 energies to even function. So just by Pokemon, like the Guardi line plus energies, you're already looking at almost half your deck. Um, so obviously you don't have that much freedom just to build your deck. So uh, yeah, like tweaking that deck is going to be very hard. Um, also Psychic Attackers, it's like, like you said, for example, the Dalation V, right? It's like a very obvious choice because it's a basic Pokemon that can deal a ton of damage. You can even play the Sky Steel Stone to deal with um, like some of the V stars to even like take three prizes. Um, so in that regard, I think the list is very figured out. There's like a couple of slots, but I mean, there were also a couple of slots in Lugia and that like, didn't change in six months. So um, I don't think there will be too many drastic changes. And in terms of viability, I think like the biggest issue here is that the other top two decks that we've kind of like established in Lost Box and Mew are like very, very oppressive. And that's not something that a stage two deck really wants to see speaking from someone who played Greninja for an entire season. So it's like, that's not really what, what you want to go into. So I think it's like, I think it's a decent play. Like it's solid. I mean, an ability that gets infinite amounts of energies into play can't be bad. Um, but I don't think it's in a spot right now where it can really keep up with the like top two um, decks in the format. Brian or Owen, are either of you going to be pro Gardevoir here? <laughs> okay for those of you listening on audio the the look on their faces said a lot there but uh brian you're gonna come up with something i've tested too much Gardevoir for <laughs> to admit it um <laughs> like okay so the thing with guardi is it's broken when it works like literally broken but it needs to work and you like break one out of four games purely because of a bad hand secondly your lost box matchup is just bad but if someone out there found a way to deal with the, the Lost Box matchup and still be really consistent, or at least win two out of three games, bring it to a UIC because I will guarantee you get easy day two because the deck is actually that good. And don't be scared to experiment with taking out staple cards. I have tested the deck without Mew, without Greninja. I know it sounds crazy, but it worked. Sometimes as well. <laughs> I felt like the Greninja didn't really add too much to the deck in a lot of my games. So 99% of the people say I'm crazy, but you can take it out and test with something else. Just experiment a lot with the deck and then you might find success. Have you tried without VIP pass? Is that just like the worst idea you've ever heard? I've tried with three. I've tried, well, I, I'm just going to say it. I tried with Dream Ball Peonia <laughs> and with SP and Vmax and the Forge that removes weakness. And I'm going to tell you, it worked against Lost Box where you get SP on down and you can hand disrupt or get Florges down. You actually win the matchup. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it's still quite inconsistent at that point because you have to take out a little bit more consistency cards, like take out the Mew, 
take out maybe Greninja, like flip flop between those. Like, and it it was a fun idea. It worked pretty well, but I'm not confident in the deck with with that those cards in it. And Owen, we just had a lot of Guardi hype there, even though they ended with not confident. But why is Guardi a bad play? Um, because I think it's it's because the it, most of the list is just you need to play it. It's less flexible. Um, even like Drapion in Arceus decks makes it a hard matchup. Um, yeah, there's just too much dark darkness, uh, hate or darkness types out there as well, um, which can deal with your guard of 4ex. Um, yeah, that's and all the reasons already listed, of course, being, being inconsistent, uh, having a bad loss Oaks matchup. We, those are really the most important ones, but there are a lot of small things which are make still make yeah just make it worse. Another deck that we've kind of alluded to a few times is the like I'm gonna call it Arceus Pile because that seems to be where we're going with the name of the deck, where it's Arceus paired with something. Sometimes it's Giratina and it's a little more linear. Sometimes it's with Giratina and Pikachu. Sometimes it's with Magnazone, V Star, or whatever, right? You've seen look at look look at more North American tournaments. Go to day two, scroll to 90th and 100th place, and look at the Arceus decks. There, there's some there's some clever stuff out there. But like in theory, right? Arceus can take a cram hit, it can take Sableyes, it doesn't need a bench full of squishy stuff. Is Arceus something possibly a play, or is this pure theoretical copium? it might be a super viable thing. Owen, what do you think about Arceus with literally anything? It doesn't matter what. Okay, I, I think there's definitely potential, but it's it really will take a longer time to figure out, I think. I think nobody will uh, figure it out before EOIC, because it also requires a bit more of a uh, known meta to truly um, make the right pile, because you have so many options, you have so many piles you can choose from, let's say. Um, that you you can't just beat everything the first tournament when everything is still around, but when like tier, less tier two decks will be around because really they end up being the tier two decks and people are not on their copia, copia anymore. <laughs> uh, then it might Arceus might show up again, but I, I'm it's it's hard to say. For EYC, I think you you have to lay the Arceus down for a while. Brian or Nico, can either of you sell on why Arceus would be a good play for EUIC then? It's kind of win Lost Box. You play <laughs> healing cards, you play Hand Disruption, you play Judge and Path, you play Sharon's, and you can actually beat Lost Box stacks that don't like counter you with like Septos or Dragonite with Belts. Um, like, and even then, I think still. If you can attack fast enough, you can still beat the night jump. It's and also maybe some Zenta might be slightly problematic, but you can just turn scare it away again. So they need to save light first and then some Zenta and then you no. And yeah, I think you can win the Lost Box matchup. I think it's actually one of the decks that has a more favorable matchup against Lost Box in the format. However, you lose to Tina, so I'm not sure <laughs> if you want to do that. So even though I kind of forced Brian to be positive on Arceus, Nico, you're the tiebreaker. <laughs> what are your thoughts on Arceus with anything? 
Okay, so um, I think on one side that uh, like Arceus is a bit too fair in the current format. Like, I mean, it's hard to say for a Pokemon that hasn't even been out for like one and a half years. Like, it's barely a year that it has been like legal that it's already too fair. Um, but I think if we look at like all of the other attackers, I mean, we have Lugia, which can use Tyranitar to deal massive amounts of damage. As Brian already said, like Giratina can just easily deal with an Arceus. Lostbox can play stuff like Zapdos. Uh, Mew obviously still has like tablets, but I also think that um, it could be a very solid spot for Arceus right now because usually the one big flaw that post-rotation formats have is that every deck loses like massive amounts of consistency. And if you have an ability like Starbirth, that could obviously be like a very big selling point. And obviously now that Inteleon is gone, you're kind of forced into either playing uh, like heavy draw supporter version of um, Arceus or you just go back to Bib. And then you also have like onboard consistency, which could be like kind of decent. Um, but yeah, also, even though you have like the consistency and you have like the potential that the deck could be good because every deck loses consistency, um, I'm also on the same page as Owen here because you also, even if you are consistent and if you have like all of the things going for you, you still need to make the best of your deck space. So you need to know what you want to tech for, you need to know what you want to have in your deck. Um, so I think for now, I just agree. Arceus is not in the best spot because it's just too fair to just be carried by itself. So you need to like have an anti-meta variant to counter like two or three specific decks going forward. That all uh, makes perfect sense to me. <laughs> so we're going to do a couple questions from Twitter to close us out real quick. So the first one is from Jory. Who's going to win the pizza bet this time? <laughs> <laughs> um good question <laughs> can you give us a little context you, you for that one too? Said, well okay uh, you can tell it you can tell <laughs> okay so so um we, we had a pizza bet at utrecht uh after azul and chip made a pizza bet on players at utrecht um uh, they bet uh chip bet on me to become high, uh, get a higher seed azul bet on brian to get a higher seed and then we personally made made the the bet as, as well. Um so I ended up winning a pizza because I placed higher at Utrecht. Um so we haven't made a pizza bet yet, but we are gonna have the pizza party afterwards at London. So that's nice. Um will we make another bet? I mean if you wanna lose your free pizza. <laughs> hmm, hmm. This guy's actually like now addicted to gambling. <laughs> he made like three Actually. different pizza bets with other players about like the League Cup stuff. True, true. If if I win again, I get I'll get too fat. I'll get too fat. So I, I, I'm, I'm not making it. <laughs> no. The next question comes from Celeb NB, and it's why is everyone underrating Urshifu? So this, of course, being the Urshifu VMAX, Inteleon VMAX, you know, Yoga Loop the Manaphy, and you Alakazam to set up the math with the not quick shooting. Double Gunner off the Inteleon VMAX and, you know, all that other cool stuff. <laughs> so, Nico, why is everyone underrating Urshifu, or is it properly rated at Tier 3? Um... I think it's somewhat properly rated simply because it's one of those decks you look at it and then on paper it sounds amazing. It's like the greatest deck of all time. You beat everything, you have to counter to everything, and you start drawing hands, so you start playing games and you're like, hmm, now I'm missing this piece, I lose. 
Now I'm missing this specific piece. Now I lose. I mean, Urshifu worked very well when you had access to a solved metagame and the Intellion engine, but now you want to play it in a format where half the format can like one-shot either or both of your attackers and you don't have Intellion anymore. It's like, it's probably probably not the best idea. And either Owen or Brian, do you uh, have any disagreement or is it properly rated as a tier three on paper deck, not a real deck? I don't know if not a real I mean, is probably not the right word, but it just has a bad new new matchup and like probably also a bad guard of our matchup purely because of the psychic weakness. It that really keeps it down. Um, yeah, not sure about the rest. Brian, are you also lose against Giratina, Star Requiem, and then Save Line and Lost Impact stuff, and Raikou Sky Seal still takes for a prize from Italian, so seems bad actually. So it's a weird team. Urshifu is not underrated. <laughs> if anything, might be overrated, judging from all that. <laughs> yeah. All right, the next three is a very loose term. There can be a lot of decks in tier three, so maybe it's properly rated. <laughs> That's true. There's plenty of imagination. <laughs> Tier three can be the uh, the bottom tables of the decks. That is true. Next question is also from Celeb. Why do people think Lugia is still a good deck? So we'll go in the reverse. Brian, why do people think Lugia is still a good deck? And are they right? You hit Mew for weakness. You hit Arcus for weakness. Mirino for weakness. If it sets up, it's pretty decent. If you play Hand Disruption, you can actually beat Lost Box. And Tarantor is actually really pretty decent in the matchup because you can just mill their deck after you judge. So you might hit key pieces as well. Uh, if I have to sell it, that would be my reason. But it is a bit more inconsistent than other decks in the format. Owen, Lugia. Underrated, overrated, yeah. good, not good. Um, I mean, I think it's exactly rated as it should be. I mean, it's it's a good deck, but when it sets up, uh, but the fact that it needs to play flip cards now to find its Archaeops, uh, like like Catching Aroma and Mesagoza, and that you still need to discard it with your like one Ultra Ball you might possibly hit or your research, it's just it's Lugia already was sometimes clunky pre rotation. It's just become way more clunkier. Well, maybe the power level when it sets up also kind of decreased. So yeah, it, it's fine, but not good enough. If it doesn't set up. Nico, are you pro Lugia? I mean, I already wasn't pro Lugia before <laughs> rotation, so I think no, no, I'm definitely not gonna be pro Lugia. Um, but yeah, I mean I think it's just like it's a solid deck. I mean, accelerating energies from your deck is never gonna be like horrible. I mean, obviously a lot of people that now look at it and say like um it's horrible are just heavily biased because they just have the previous Lugia in their mind and obviously compared to that it's just a shadow of its former self like that's nowhere near close so i think like what the other two have said is like um yeah it's true like the deck is solid if you set up you have hand disruption still um you can hit a lot of stuff for weakness or you, you can hit very high numbers with tyranitar for example um but yeah it's no like it's not going to be best in format anymore but it's going to be like a solid play but nothing amazing Next question comes from Chris Butler, and there's a few things in here, a lot of which we've already done, but the one I want to do is what is going to be the biggest bust deck at EUIC? So which deck is going to 
see the least amount of success compared to the hype, or maybe you had the worst conversion rate from day one to day two. And we can kind of zoom through this one since we already talked about the deck. So you don't need to explain unless you feel like you have to back yourself up so you don't get blasted on Twitter for it. But which deck is going to see the least amount of success for how much it gets played? Nico, why don't you go first? Um, as hard as it is for me to say, because I was really looking forward to the deck when the first Japanese results came out, I think it's going to be Giratina. Because it's just like it got hyped so far up when the first results came out, but now it's just it doesn't look that amazing for the reasons that we already went over. So I think it's going to be Giratina. Um, I mean, it will still be solid, but conversion rate wise and hype wise, I think it's going to be the bus deck. Owen, what do you think? I'm not sure. Um, if we're talking sheer conversion rates, I think like the most played decks with a like like Lost Some Box because it's hard to play with a lower conversion rate purely because if it shows up in high numbers, but not everyone can play it well. So they'll do worse as to say. But I think there'll still be a lot. So it won't really be a bust deck. Um yeah, I don't think there's an actual real bus deck. I think everything when it's just set up, sets up can do really well. Uh, so there are all, there will always be some that make it too. For example, like Lugia and Gardevoir, that those are really just suddenly set. If they set up, they do well. And if you just have it run hot, you get there. And that always happens. And Brian, what do you say? Biggest bust? Either Gardevoir or Miraidon. That sounds... I'm going to throw mine in there, too. I agree with Maridon. I don't think it's going to be heavily played, but I it's, I think it's so bad. I hope someone proves me wrong. I just think it's such a bad deck. And if someone... Yes, three pe- I'm sorry. No, go for it. Yes, there's three people that are going to hydro with the deck <laughs> and do really well out of, like, the 50 to 100 people that play it. That's, that's kind of where my thought is. I think every time, it's like, this deck's broken. I set up, and then I'm like, oh, I have nothing to do after I set up. This is bad. Exactly. Last question is less about the meta and more about the general. You are all three very successful and experienced players. For a lot of people, this will be the largest tournament they've ever attended. That's a stupid thing to say. This will be the largest tournament pretty much everyone, if not everyone who is there, has ever attended. There are, gosh, what was the number? Does anyone know the number off the top of their head? I didn't research it. Over a thousand. I think that's 1850. 1850. TCG? So, yeah, I think all divisions is like 18, 18 something. Yeah. Absolutely math. We're talking about another like 15, probably maybe 1600 person Masters tournament. How do you go about prepping for something that is so absolutely massive compared to, I mean, the post COVID regionals are still gigantic, but (laughs) compared to those, it's still, you know, twice as big. Um, Brian, how do you go about prepping for this compared to an SPE or a regional? Or are you going to take it the same way and be like, eh, there's just more people to beat. I'll be fine. Well, testing-wise, I personally test way more for ICs than regionals. So already that's in your preparation. You should test more because it's a higher stakes event, if you want to do well, at least. And like, yeah, just see it as any other tournament. Like if it's your first really big tournament, I can feel yeah, I can imagine that you're really nervous. I was just, I was too for my first big event. It's like but try to keep it keep it together, stay calm, go about it one round at a time, 
nothing wrong about losing and just play for fun. If you do well, you do well. If you do bad, well, whatever. Oh, and how are you prepping or are you prepping any differently, I guess, for 1600 person tournament? Uh, I don't think I'll be prepping any differently, but I, for the advice for people who are going to be there for the fir- have a big tournament for the first time, uh, I'd, I'd say just get a deck that you're actually comfortable with, especially with such a huge field of players. If you find a deck and you're comfortable with it and you test it a lot, and then you're already way more prepared than like 90% of the other players. If you just stick to, to your guns and test just a good deck. Um, other than that, uh, don't be stressed, as Brian said, and enjoy it most of all. It's a cool experience. Nico, anything else to add? How are you prepping? And is it any different? Yeah, I mean, preparation-wise, as Brian said, since it's an IC, I mean, preparation by default is just going to be um, harder than for regionals in general because it's yeah higher stakes. You can earn more CP and everything. Uh, but yeah, like in terms of just like size, I don't think there should be any difference. Like if you play, let like let's let's use regionals as an example, right? Like if you play 400 player regional or 1.2k player regional, there should be absolutely no difference. Like you should still just play a deck, like play test the deck, play the deck like Owen said that you're most comfortable with. Don't just switch the night before, even though we've all probably done this way too many times um but yeah just stick with what you're comfortable and um for the tournament itself even if people like are nervous going into it because yeah i mean it's one point like 6k probably in in like masters uh but once you sit down in your round anyways you don't really notice whether it's like a 100 player tournament or thousand player tournament so playing wise just like play as you would play at any other tournament Beautiful. I think that was a set of great advice for both regional preparation, but then the general meta stuff. You know, there's a lot of hours of testing here that hopefully people are going to take away from. But if people do want more from you, where can they find you? And do you have any shout outs? We'll go with Nico first. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter, carrypotter underscore one. Um, yeah, I also offer coaching um, if anyone's interested. Otherwise, I'm. Um, like not really doing too much outside, like no articles, no YouTube or anything. And yeah, that's basically it. <laughs> oh, and how about you? Where can the people find you at any shout outs? Uh, they can find me on Twitter as well. Uh, and I occasionally do some coaching. Uh, just shoot me a message on Twitter at Owen Karaman. Um, yeah, that's it. And Brian, how about you? Where can they find you and any shout outs? You can find me on Twitter at Brian DeFries TCG. And if you ever have any questions, you can just send me a DM. I'll answer probably very fast. I can confirm, because after LAIC, I DM'd about the double Eveltal list, and I got very detailed responses very quickly. (laughs) (laughs) Myself, Twitch, Twitter, and YouTube, at Magicarp. Like, comment, subscribe. If you're on YouTube, five stars. If you, or any stars, I guess, technically, so don't break TOS. If you're on a podcasting platform. And this has been another episode of the Lake of Rage podcast. We'll catch you all next week.